I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. Baselayer is sponsored by Diginex and by its digital asset exchange, Equas. As an exchange, Equas is focused on delivering innovative product compliance, fairness, and most importantly, trust. In a time when institutional investors are beginning to seriously review digital assets for their portfolio, these are key elements necessary to build bridges to new investors. Equas currently provides digital asset spot trading and perpetual futures, and plans to soon offer dated futures and options. Parent company Diginex also provides capital markets advisory, asset management, and custody. To check them out, you can go to diginex.com and equos.io. That is E-Q-U-O-S.io. This is David. This is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Richard Rosenblum with us, the co-founder and member of the board at GSR. Rich, how are you? Doing great. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon. And this is going to be a great one. Uh, As many people know who listen to my show, I love the intersection of people who were in traditional finance who crossed the chasm into digital assets. And Rich is definitely someone who has done that. I began his career at Goldman Sachs, spent 11 years there in New York and London in commodities trading as a managing director and global head of oil derivatives. Um, and what we're doing now at GSR is quite interesting. GSR was founded in 2013, uh, one of the oldest established institutional market makers for digital assets. And so for people who are learning about this world from the family office world and the institutional investor, we're going to have a great conversation because Rich can talk about everything that's happening from digital assets to everything that's happening on the macro side. But what we'd like to do is that there's a specific point in time throughout your career, sometime you know, probably years ago, that digital assets became a thing and you said wow this is something that i want to pursue this is something that i see a lot of opportunity in would love to know not necessarily when that was that in terms of the quote-unquote when bitcoin moment but what about the technology what about the assets what about blockchains really inspired you to go out there and form gsr that's a that's a great question i'd say uh as far as the the genesis of forming GSR, I think it was more about the fact that it's, it's seen asset classes go from the immature state to, to being highly mature. And I think to me, it's a lot more exciting and you add a lot more value being a market maker in a, a newer product. I'd made one career switch from trading fixed income um, just for a couple of years in 2003, 2005. And then switched over to oil, and part of it was that there's a lot more volatility, a lot more new new product um, creation, and that aspect of uh, using more outside the box thinking and more more of both sides of the brain instead of just sort of the mathematical elements. Uh, I thought was fascinating. Um, so I think that thematically, 
having been in oil for a decade, going into a new product that seemed more about being in the, uh, the future rather than oil seemed like it's going to continue to be important, but more a thing of the past, I think I found fascinating. Um, but I'd say, you know, the formation of GSR was based on that notion that, you know, we'd seen programmatic trading develop over many years into oil, where initially you had to, to call someone up to find out where backend oil was trading. And then all of a sudden there's listed products and usual host the names trading programmatically in the space versus who could start from square one and, and be uh, a leader. And I think we might've been the first algorithmic trader in the space to be fully focused um, on it. Um, but in terms of learning about the technology, despite being a, a rather technical guy when it comes to derivatives or when it comes to you know studies in school, it's it's more in the past uh, you know couple of years where I've really dug into the full potential of, of crypto. So as opposed to having bought early and saying that I I was really a crypto fanatic in 2012, I think despite being in early, um, I, I'm really just breaking the seal in the past year or two um, of all the different possibilities of digital assets. I'm curious, and you've listened to a few of the shows, and this is something that I've been kind of waxing on the last month or two uh, during the summer months. The move from calling things crypto to digital assets. Now, there is a case be made that Bitcoin uh, is obviously a cryptocurrency. It is a medium of exchange. It is a store of value. It is mirroring those types of kind of pieces of what we would consider currency. Um, and then what we're seeing is the evolution of all these other things that are happening that are not necessarily currency per se, but they are digital assets that are powering different protocols and different systems and different applications. Would you say that it's time to move away from crypto to something else? I could get into all the, the technicalities of, of why there's overlap as well as non-overlap and one can be a subset of the other and Carl areas like you know options are a form of derivatives but all derivatives aren't, aren't options um, but I'd say a lot of it's a branding exercise and and, and much of uh, life and business is and more liken it to digital assets calling your your dog your your service dog when I do think a lot of the the, the value add and what the focus it genuinely is crypto and being a true insider and a crypto native, we really want to call it crypto. And that's, that's, that's what it is. But I could see in speaking to larger institutions there, there still might be this sense that the, the crypto side has a bad name. So, you know, it's like when you're going to go into the movie theater, you're not going to say it's your dog, it's your service dog. So it's <laughs> like saying that the crypto market is the digital asset market. It, it gives it a bit more of a, a neutral flair by, by taking away um, the name that they might have heard about and heard about thefts on exchanges or, or, or schemes um, similar to the, the crypto scheme that happened on, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But um, I think a lot of it is uh, because they're both such loaded phrases and there's absolutely some areas of overlap and non-overlap. For the most part, it's more of a, a branding exercise in today's day and age. I would prefer to call it digital assets when I'm more in an institutional setting. But um, today, when dealing with exchanges, miners, issuers, uh, the insiders really do call it crypto. Yeah. 
I would say that I have some experience with this because back in the days of work in more mission-driven investing, especially focused on the world, the planet, that the idea of calling it global warming uh, really wasn't that well uh, taken by all sides of the parties there. And then the switch to climate change uh, kind of started to focus in on there. And then all the different things, all the different nuances. But again, to your point, there is purpose and discussion that is worthwhile in what we're calling all of this because you know it does resonate. There are certain things that will resonate with a larger populace um, than others. And so if we truly want to grow this sandbox, I think we do have to have honest conversations as a community about what we're you know, calling these things now. So, well, that was a, I'd like your, your opinion on that, but let's get back to GSR. So what you all are doing there is multitude of different things. There's market making, there's OTC trading, and there's programmatic execution for somebody who is on the outside looking in. And I've been speaking to lots of people over the last three or four months. It has gotten to be a very interesting time, especially after the Paul Judah Jones letter and what's happening with the unprecedented amount of printing that the government is making in response to COVID, lots of people are starting to really perk up and take a look at this. So for those that are not necessarily still versed in this but are starting to learn, tell us the different components that GSR is doing and how it facilitates uh, the capital markets and digital assets. Sure, yes. I'd like to start with the the very last few words you said, facilitating um, markets. I think that on a holistic view, you know, we are we see ourselves in a role of reducing the the friction between capital and innovation, and whether we're doing something on the the microstructure side and in, in programmatic trading, or we're we're looking to make a strategic investment in this space, we certainly feel like our our core mission is to, you know, bring capital to the true innovators in the space, and you know, we're engineering new products to some degree, giving you know strategic advice to leaders in the space, but we're we're not creating our own protocols. And I think there's some really prol- prolific, interesting things that are that are happening, and I think that's the part where we take the most pride in that we're we're having a hand in, in really helping the space develop and been doing it for the better part of, of ten years. And getting into more specifics, because the first thing we did in the space is that you know contracted programmatic um, market making for on behalf of issuers. That's still very much in our DNA. But as opposed to running software that that helps keep these these communities um, well well liquid and help draw attention to their their products by making sure that there's always a, a buyer and seller of last resort twenty four seven on global exchanges. We also take an active part in in helping them grow their community in, in other ways through bring um, forth forth partners, um, marketing tax, legal PR. And um, helping them, you know, draw important connections to the space, and as well as the fact that we came into the space as a programmatic um, player, but we noticed that other com- competitors came in, and they were f- fulfilling similar roles as programmatic traders, and it makes sense because we 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 skipped that layer of brick and mortar, and everything was interactions via exchanges. So it was a very non-human oriented business for many years, but saw that there wasn't really a derivatives market. And without investment banks in the space, there weren't any clear goal, uh, groups to fill this role. So we built a platform starting two and a half years ago to, to be able to trade um, derivatives, um, specifically options. And I think that's 
in the last six months, the, the place where we've really um, differentiated ourselves and that we've traded more option volumes than the CME this year. And we've traded more option volumes in, you know, assets that are, are not Bitcoin. So I think that puts us in a pretty unique standpoint since a lot of the other groups, they, they might have prowess in, in trading, prowess in um, even uh, options trading, but they're usually looking at listed instruments. It's a bit of a different expertise to, to be able to look at the, the, the credit and understand the, the collateral and margining and um, do it at scale. So I think that in addition to the market making for token issuers and, and exchanges, we offer risk management solutions to, to groups using derivatives and using options. And it might sound like something that's highly speculative, taking a, a high vol instrument and you know trading options on it. But that's absolutely not um, what we've been doing. Usually it's more overwrite strategies where you're harnessing that high vol and reducing the volatility by selling some calls against it. And I'm sure the, the family office um, you know, audience is aware of the strategy that's been uh, one of the oldest option strategies, um, you know, many more than decades old. And also there's groups like miners that are looking to, to risk manage by, by buying puts um, and making sure that if they have, you know, shareholders and a CFO, they can't just you know, spend 30, 50 million on, a, on a, uh, a mining farm. They have to make sure they have a return on it. It's not just a, a grand bet. It's more of an operating company. So we work with them to isolate and, and reduce these uh, exogenous risks that they, they don't necessarily want to keep in their portfolios. Right. And in addition to that, we have some businesses along the remittance corridors. We're working with um, payment payment operators and some some investment management, but the the core businesses I'd say are around derivatives and programmatic trading. So I would love to get your opinion. One of the areas that has exploded is in DeFi, and in terms of derivatives, you've started to see all these new synthetic, I would call them asset backed or collateralized type of synthetic derivatives out there. We are using Ethereum, or you have some that are multi-collateral, and you're creating all of these new type of instruments, and a lot of them are derivatives of derivatives. I'd be curious with your experience from the traditional markets and then obviously lending to digital assets, what are you thinking about what's happening there? Sure. So yeah, back up a, a decade and, and speaking to, to other senior members at Goldman, I'd say, you know, what do you think about this? fintech space don't you think that we're going to see the same type of disruption that we're seeing across other areas like isn't isn't tech and software going to have a big impact in our space and you know the most senior members um were saying you know what it's going to take forever because <laughs> you need legal precedent and there's there's a lot of reasons why you're going to see very slow change from a regulatory perspective mm. anything that relates to, to money you're going to need only accredited investors to be involved and um, there's really not much benefit to make any quick changes. So yeah, I thought that was smart um, analysis at the time, but then boom, Bitcoin hits and you have this totally new parallel ecosystem that's coming from the retail framework. And I think that the, just the concept of Bitcoin, everything it brings, whether it's a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace or whether it's digital gold, um, it's, it's a way where you could disrupt the system by banking yourself and having a, a system of value transfer. And whether it's a, a, the best one or even a good one, it's ended up being the, the fuel for the rest of this parallel ecosystem. Each percent Bitcoin goes up. Um, it's not 
when are institutions going to come and start trading Bitcoin? It's that's another uh, couple billion dollars that can go towards fueling the digital asset ecosystem. And instead of needing um, institutions to enter, there's no longer the you know uh, the dog wagging the tail. The tail is wagging the dog since you have ten plus billion dollar institutions within the space that they're they're not just evangelists reinvesting it because there's something crazy about them. It just continues to work that this is how they made their money. It's a space they know. So whether it's the you know, team at, at BitMEX or, or Binance, they put their money where their mouth is and they're, they're reinvesting in the space. And to answer your more question a bit more succinctly when it comes to, to DeFi, uh, um, as Bitcoin goes up, we see more fuel enter that, that space. And I think that it's going to be a lot more um, all-encompassing, but we're in a sort of a step function where the first step has been banking yourself and exchanging a value. The second step has been uh, lending and trading in a decentralized framework. So I think DeFi people were looking at ways where it's going to get more game-like and you have low fees and it's going to be have no brick and mortar. So you know, could talk about Robinhood, um, could talk about peer-to-peer lending businesses. DeFi is more that you take the company completely out of it and you're just right. having it be essentially software where it could be no one works at the, the software company. It's essentially um, Bitcoin, but as a corollary to the business of lending, the act of lending. Um, not even sure you'd call it a business if it's uh, no one's making money off the lending and, it, and it's um, purely a bilateral function with software in between. And same with trading. And what's been most exciting this past um, you know, month is that when the volumes go from hundreds of thousands today to millions per day, uh, especially for you know, large family offices, it's like, okay, that's, that's not, it's cute, but you're, you're not right. going to be excited. Right. But in the past couple of weeks, those amounts have gone up to the hundreds of millions per day. And yeah, that's starting to be a little bit interesting. It's still not the trillions of dollars per day, like in traditional finance. But if we do experience those kind of gains going from single digit millions to hundreds of millions within a span of weeks, you can extrapolate that out and, and we'll get to material numbers at, uh, you know, at some point, even if it takes a, a couple of years. So there's a lot of other things that you could do in, in finance and, you know, it's, it's all up to your imagination, but mm-hmm. being able to bank yourself, being able to, to trade without having an intermediary, being able to borrow and lend and having, having credit be issued without any humans involved, you know, that's already a, a lot of, Right. to play with so i don't want to uh yeah so i would love to get your opinion on this too so MicroStrategy, uh nasdaq ticker mstr uh adopted bitcoin as a primary treasury reserve asset uh, apparently they acquired twenty one thousand four hundred fifty four bitcoin at the tune of about 250 million dollars usd um and so they addressed uh their capital allocation strategy with this um, and it said that which they are seeking to maximize long-term value for their shareholders. And this investment reflects their belief that Bitcoin as the world's most widely adopted cryptocurrency is a dependable store value and an attractive investment asset with more long-term appreciation potential than holding cash. Now, as someone who is on the other side, who is talking to investors, who is talking to other counterparties who are executing trades, and you just alluded to the volumes, 
Do you think we're at a very special point in time right now where we're starting to see larger institutions, larger capital uh, allocators like this starting to really tilt into Bitcoin and other digital assets? Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, but I would say that it's a bit more of a complicated question and answer because um, you still have the capital asset pricing model and there should not be an asset that completely breaks that mold where yes, it's a store of value. You're, you're not going to lose your principal, but it, it's supposed to go up 50 X or more versus gold because it's digital gold. And we have a generational aspect where, you know, the older generations don't believe that, uh, you know, Bitcoin is the next big thing, but you have the JP Morgan survey recently came out saying, um, millennials and generation Z believe in Bitcoin more than gold. So something's got to give. And I think that those two things can't be true that it's, uh, it's a great store of value. You're not going to lose your principal, but it's severely under um, undervalued and it's going to go up many multiples. So I'd say that uh, it's still a highly risky investment. And I would certainly advocate apportioning a small percentage of one's assets um, toward, towards Bitcoin. But I think for a company to say that they believe it's better value than dollars and they're going to put their, their entire portfolio. That's certainly a huge bet they're making. And it's a, it's a risk to not have any Bitcoin in your portfolio, but I think it's a bigger risk to put your entire portfolio in, into Bitcoin. So I think that uh, it's, it's a, it's their, it's their judgment to make as fiduciaries over the business. But I'd say unless you're a, business that for some reason has liabilities in the space or is highly connected to it, probably better not to, to go over 10%. I think something like 5% is already pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that's news to me. Uh, it's, it's pretty exciting news and it's the kind of news I'd like to see, right. but I'm still not the type of evangelist that would recommend someone's going, you know, levered long Bitcoin. I think it's, it's, it's earned its place as a, to, to have a few percent in a, a large portfolio. But um, in terms of what I'm hearing for other investors, I'm still deeply in touch with uh, the traditional asset space. And there was a lot of speculation when we were in the, called the prototype phase still in 2017, there was mm -hmm. no infrastructure in place for institutions to, to get involved. Um, now we're finally, you know, we have a lot of infrastructure. It's just new and fresh and it takes a couple of years um, for groups to, to have vetted it. Mm -hmm. um, instead of pensions putting in 10 million here and there. This is this is the first time in these last uh, three months where speaking to groups at, at the top largest, uh, you know, three, five banks saying that they're having conversations at the CEO level, the CFO, CIO level of uh, some larger ticket sizes. So, you know, I don't think it's Simmons and Paul Tudor Jones that alone are making these moves. I think everyone is uh, sniffing at it, but we're, we're still in early days. I think that uh, certainly in the early innings. Interesting. Like that insight and commentary. I'm curious, your old firm, Goldman, was on record about a week or two ago debating that the U.S. dollar had potentially or was going to potentially lose its reserve status. And GSR produces monthly commentary on a blend of digital assets and uh, the traditional markets. So would love to hear what you guys are thinking there as a firm, you know, about U.S. dollar as reserve and also gold, gold busted through $2,000. Um, it's retraced back a little bit. 
Uh, but those that are looking at Bitcoin also have spent, and I'd say this predominantly, I think this is pretty uh, fairly unequivocal, that anyone who's been looking at Bitcoin also looks at gold. Um, although if you're you know, obviously a Bitcoiner, you probably don't even want to think about gold. But for those family offices and other institutional investors, they have looked at gold, they've allocated to gold, and now they're looking at Bitcoin as a potential salvage, uh, something that is outside the traditional world. And so any thoughts as a firm or what you guys are thinking about uh, in August right now, you know, in terms of U.S. dollar, in terms of gold, in terms of some of the more macro uh, thematics that are happening out there? Yeah, so that's, that's a lot to, to take in. I, I'd say that in making investment decisions, um, you know, as, a, as a family office, whether you have uh, 30 million AUM or you have uh, 30 billion AUM, I think that it's hard to be as on the pulse as uh, whether it's a bank or a hedge fund that, that is laser focused on, on one product. I think that it makes sense to, to get into a product slowly. For instance, um, you see a run up like 2017 at the end of the year. I'm sure some groups um, bought the identical top. I, I, I know a tech investor who spent 100 million and paid roughly 19,000 all in one go. And the way to not do that is to, it's, it's harder to say don't, don't, don't buy the highs. The way to do that is to buy in, in pieces. So if the ethos is that this is going to be a good place to invest, you know, buy Bitcoin over the next two years. Don't buy it over the next two weeks. Um, because whether, as you said, MSTTR, the group that made that large investment, I think that um, let's say they had that same view in 2017. They'd be, they could still be right but they'd spend the next two years eating their words. But if they spent the, the past two years acquiring gradually, and this is part of a plan, um, I think that's usually a better way to trade, you know, sc scaled in buying as well as scaled in selling. You end up paying less, you end up learning more, and um, you're not trading off of some gut feel because um, an age-old um, saying is past performance is not indicative of, of future performance. But mm -hmm. when it's something in tech, the higher the price goes, it's more of a proving ground that, okay, the fact that we're seeing higher volumes and higher prices means that the adoption is driving the price higher. So I want to buy into this, this, this asset now that it's been proven when still it is, it is an asset and like all assets, it's higher because people are buying it. And, uh, it makes sense to be uh, taking a measured pace, measured approach, and uh, you know, buy buy over time so that you're getting the average in at a a, a rate that is uh, not going to be as susceptible to one market move or one person's opinion. Got it. And so, as we're wrapping up, any thoughts on the next you know three four five six months we have an election coming up uh as it relates to traditional markets as it relates to digital asset markets anything that you guys are thinking of yeah i think my main kind of uh advice to the audience is look look behind bitcoin and uh consider the ecosystem more of a force to be reckoned with than the the one bellwether and what what the family office space um can do is do a bit more due diligence and, and learn about the teams that are in the space. Cause you know, three, five years ago, yes, it was more the, the web developers that had an idea and it was a bit of a funding exercise and 
Some of them had come and gone. Some of them have raised so much money that they've, they're building real businesses. But what we're seeing in the past um, year is is more, you know, early uh, Facebook, early Google um, type uh, creators, and they're building real businesses that are are meant to be on the blockchain and meant to have this sort of user participation element, which just doesn't exist. And you know, look at Ethereum with 11 million. They they created this tremendous you know, smart platform, smart contract platform, and sort of the the pedestal um, that DeFi is climbing up the, the ladder on. And you could buy Ethereum within its first few weeks of, of creation, versus if that was a a, a Facebook or a Google, you, know, you could have to wait a decade before you could invest. So I think that that model, um, while it's not perfect, and you know it still has some proving in terms of the regulatory side. It is a, a very nice model that's democratizing um, investing today and just making everything a lot more transparent than typical private investing. And so I'd say even if uh, it doesn't seem like it has the scale um, for, for pensions or endowments to get involved, if I were a family office today, I, I think it's a good place to, to, to really dig in and um, f- find a couple of projects that I understand and uh, make, make some investments because the, the, this, this industry is certainly... Um, here to stay, and I think we're going to see some um, some growth, and especially in this next six months. Amen to that. Well said, Rich. Where can people find out more about JSR? Get in touch with you guys if they're trying to get into this market and they're trying to participate. Uh, happy to reach out direct, Rich at GSR.io. I have some information on our website, um, www.gsr.io. Um, certainly happy to engage with any enthusiasts in the market. Doesn't have to be about our services exactly and uh really appreciate having me on on your podcast and look forward to keeping in touch sounds good rich rosenbloom co-founder member of the board at gsr this was a great conversation about the market about everything that you guys are seeing and doing there we appreciate you coming on and hopefully we can catch up and again in six months and see how things are going and we'll see you soon take care rich likewise thank you Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.